Did you catch it? If you thought he just said, eat, you missed it. <laughs> he didn't just say eat, he said savor. He didn't just say drink your wine, he said do it with gladness. He didn't just say have a wife, he said you enjoy her, you love her. He didn't just say work, he said you do it with all your might. There's a profundity to this, a depth to this, a, a, a simpleness to this that you cannot miss. It's not just that he tells you to have all of the human experiences, he tells you to enjoy them. It's not just that you are to be physically alive, he tells you to be spiritually alive as you live it. It's not just that he tells you to live. It's that he tells you to live with all your heart. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Preacher, what he has to say to you about living life. He writes this Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. This is God's Word. The great Bible teacher and reformer, Martin Luther, was once asked, if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die, what would you do? What would you do? This is not bombast for me. This is not just me trying to amp up the tension in a sermon for a moment. This is where we're at. It's where we're at in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is where we're at. In view of death... Your death, how should you live? This is the question that the preacher is trying to answer for us. In view of your death, how should you live? In view of injustice, in view of frailty, in view of the fact that your life is like a breath, how are you supposed to do this thing that we call life? Chapter after chapter after chapter, the preacher dispenses with bad and foolish options. 
He's like the great lawnmower in that regard. He says, you try this, it's not that. You try this, it's not that. He's the great lawnmower. He just takes out all these different options. But finally, finally he says, this is how you do it. This is the right way to live your life. So in a way, we've actually arrived this morning to the mountain peak. I don't think I'm, again, doing any kind of hyperbole. I think it's just true. If this were the Alaska Range, we have finally summited Denali. If this were the Andes, this is, how do you say that mountain peak? Aconcagua? If this were the Himalayas, this would be Everest. Finally, the preacher has mown down every other false and foolish option for living. And in view of death, he says, this people of God is how we should live. I should take you back for a second. We call these passages in Ecclesiastes the carpe diem passages. Carpe diem is Latin for seize the day. You got to do it now, you might not have it later. There are five of them in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think my metaphor is right, that the way they work is that the book rises. You kind of start on a lower level in the foothills, and then you get to the center of the range, and then finally you reach the peak, you reach the Denali, the Aconcagua, the, the finally the, the Everest of all of them. So you start in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and he says, this is what the better thing to do in life is. You eat, and you drink, and you find satisfaction in your labor. This is life. And then he rises just a little bit more in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and he adds just a little bit. He says, here's the better thing to do. Here's the good life. You eat and you drink and you find satisfaction in your labor. This is all from the hand of God, he says. And then you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You get just a little bit taller. And he says, this is the good life. It's better for you to live like this. You eat, you drink, you find satisfaction in your labor. And if God gives you money, and if God gives you possessions, and you are able actually to enjoy it, because some people don't, that is the gift of God. You don't think about your life. You don't reflect on it. You're so engrossed in the gifts. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And then you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and it's like the prelude or like a reprisal of all of it. He says, this is the gift. You eat and you drink and you enjoy your labor and it's like he's just ramping you up for the Everest. And now finally we've arrived. Because this is a different tenor. Now he's not just giving you nice advice. Now he's not just saying this is better for you to do in your life while you're here. Now he's giving you commands. Now he says do this. And he rifles at you these commands one after another and he covers, if you look at it, the most expansive vision of human life. He covers every aspect of the human condition. He covers phys your physical life, your spiritual life, your relational life, and even your economic life. He says, eat and drink. 
He says, love your wife. He says, spiritually live with joy. And he says, economically, you get after it. He says, this is the business of life now. You get down to the business of living it. This is it, people of God. Well, sort of. I actually only gave you half of it. Just half. You got to catch the other part. There's a certain profundity to what he says that you can't miss. You'll notice what he said. He didn't just say, do the business of life. He said, enjoy it. Did you catch it? If you thought he just said, eat, you missed it. (laughs) He didn't just say, eat. He said, savor. He didn't just say, drink your wine. He said, do it with gladness. He didn't just say, have a wife. He said, you enjoy her. You love her. He didn't just say, work. He said, you do it with all your might. There's a profundity to this. A depth to this, a, a, a simpleness to this that you cannot miss. It's not just that he tells you to have all of the human experiences, he tells you to enjoy them. It's not just that you are to be physically alive, he tells you to be spiritually alive as you live it. It's not just that he tells you to live. It's that he tells you to live with all your heart. This is God's will for you. It's nothing less than God's will for you. I'm not being too strong. It's God's will for you that you live and that you bring your heart to it. Let me put it like this. It turns out that God, during this broken life, wants you to live as his child. Let me see if I can get you all the way there. Have you ever seen that scene in the movie? The guy's on death row. The prison guard comes and he says, what do you want for your last meal? Whenever I see a scene like that, I can go there, I can put myself in their shoes, and I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't have anything. The burger and the fries and the shake, it would sit there. Because it turns out that in my view, it's hard to live when you're about to die. And that's why you really have to listen to what the preacher said. Did you notice what he founds all of this on? He said, you can do this. Because God has already approved what you do. God's already approved it. He's approved your life. See, as it turns out, through faith in Jesus... We are not in the hands of an angry God waiting on death row to be put down in judgment. Jesus already took the judgment on our behalf. 
it turns out that as long as we're here, what we're doing is we're waiting only to live more. It's just like Jesus Christ taught us. He came to give us life. Life to the full. Not just in eternity, but now. You see, what the preacher is doing is he's handing your life back to you. He's handing your life back to you even now. John Steinbeck, the great American novelist, how did he put it in the title of his novel? We live now east of Eden. He's right. His whole book, if you think about it, is a commentary on what it's like not to live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live east of Eden. But even here, the preacher says that we can scratch and claw bits and pieces of Eden's glory and that's what he tells you to do. He says, I want you to sip and I want you to sup with joy. Why? Because Jesus Christ sipped and supped God's wrath so that we're in a right relationship with God again. He says, I want you to have intense and loving primal relationships. If you're married, rediscover her. And he says, you can do this because you, God, God has married you in Jesus Christ and he's not going to take back his vow to love you. And he says, I want you to get back to work. I want you to dig in. Because even though there are thorns and thistles, this is still God's world. You live in it. This is the life, people of God. You eat, you drink, you relate, and you work. You put your heart into it. I want to close up this section of the sermon like this. Remember I told you before, this is all about receiving your life as a child under God and that it's God's will that we live this way. Let me put it to you like this. I'm a father too. And the best part of being a father is not just when I see that my daughter has what she needs and that she's cared for. The best part is when she realizes that she is. When she smiles. When she laughs. When she cuddles when she joys. Live as a child of God and let him see it. So that's the text. That's what it means. This is what you're supposed to do. I want to spend the rest of our time today and what I want to do is I want to clarify this with you and I want to apply it to your lives and I want to do it in three, day, three ways. Here's your first way. Live this life, not a different one. Don't make your life bigger than this. And don't try to escape it. 
You hear what I'm saying? This is a very simple life, right? You eat, you drink, you enjoy your wife. This is a very simple life. Don't try to escape it by streaming all the time your favorite movies. Don't try to escape it by just going on some kind of artificial world and scrolling on Instagram. Don't do that. That's not your life. This is. It's so simple. So profound. He doesn't look, look at where he places enjoyment. He doesn't say be an adrenaline junkie. He says, next time you eat, take the time to savor it. He doesn't say get a new spouse. I don't really like her anymore. He says, rediscover the one you got. He doesn't say take a nice trip. He says, you get back to work. Don't try to escape your life. Don't try to make it bigger than it actually is. Live the simple life. That's actually pretty hard to do. When I graduated from the seminary, I never thought I'd say to my church this, I'm going to preach to you today about eating. It's not the kind of thing you graduate, you think you graduate from the seminary to do, but you realize it's exactly what he's giving. Don't Anybody ever tell me the Bible is impractical? The Bible is very practical. Look at how practical it is. The Bible is so practical that it's telling you how to eat. <laughs> Do you notice that here? How are you supposed to eat? With your heart in it. That's harder than you think it is. Wendell Berry is a pretty provocative commentator. He says that eating in today's commercialized and industrialized world has become a poor, paltry thing. So to the hack, I'm driving on Whiskey Road, busiest road in Aiken, this lady in this big old SUV flies across two lanes only to take a left into Taco Bell. I don't think she was enjoying her food that day. They call them TV dinners. You're just distracting yourself. You're not enjoying your food at all. You're not even thinking about your food. You're thinking about the TV. Shut it off. It's a simple life. What does God want you to do? He wants you, when you eat, you become that drooling emoticon on your cell phone. You actually enjoy it. So you don't, you don't try to live a different life than you have. You don't try to escape the life you have. You enjoy, you actually stop and you enjoy and you attend to the life God wants you to have. Think about, how, think about eating just for an example. You know what I love about God? He didn't make us herbivores. You know what I love about God? He didn't make us carnivores either. You know what he made us? Omnivores. So that just as much as we can enjoy sautéed mushrooms, we can enjoy a, a, one of those crispy croutons on, on top of a fabulous salad. So that just as much as we can enjoy those hops in an IPA, I like them, you may not, but also the tang in an orange soda. It's just that simple. Don't throw away your own life. Live it. And live it before God. When you enjoy the gifts that He gives you, His fatherly heart warms. So don't live 
too much or beyond this life. And also, here's my next application. Don't reduce it. Live the whole life, not just a part of this life, live the whole life that God has for you. Remember I said there's all these categories of all the human experience. You are to live physically, you are to live spiritually, you are to live relationally, and you are to live economically. All of those things, don't reduce it. Live the whole life. I think if you stop and you think about that, that's actually a really important thing for us to do. Just as much as there is a temptation for us to spit out and not enjoy the life that we actually have, there is a temptation to take part of that life and elevate it to something more than the rest of it. So on the one hand, what we can do sometimes is demonize part of the life that God actually wants us to live. Do you know what I think is sad? Possibly even tragic is when people talk about work-life balance. Where does that come from? That's sad. Because somebody talks about work-life balance, you see what they're doing. What they're doing is they are imagining in their own mind that their work is not actually life. That's sad. Maybe even tragic. Because what that means is that that person is going to spend most of their life not living. So you can demonize part of your life that God wants you to have. Or on the other hand, you can take part of your life and elevate it above the rest. There's a show right now that's been critically acclaimed that Apple's streaming right now. It's called Ted Lasso. And there's a character on the show that is beloved, I think, just about by everybody who watches the show. The guy's a professional soccer player, and he's just delightful because every time he goes onto the soccer field, it's like he's pumping his fists in the air, and this is what he says, soccer is life. (laughs) Except he's wrong. You see what he's done? He has taken his work life and he has imagined that it's all there is. That's also tragic because he's missing out on so much. You see it yet? Work isn't everything and work isn't nothing. And the joy that God wants us to have is all of it. I'm not any good at it either because I'm a sinner. I figure I'm just a novice. But I can tell you I'm a firm believer in this life. I love to work. I love getting totally engrossed in what I'm doing so that I'll sit down at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday morning And I look up at 11.30 a.m. and go, whoa, what happened? The time flew by. But because I just got done writing a sermon, I feel so satisfied. 
There's nothing better than that. Except for going home to my wife. It's always fun rediscovering her. We just started playing pickleball lately. You should see her out there on the court. She comes home and she's still obsessing about how she can't get those overheads. I love my wife. I enjoy her so much. There's nothing better except eating. <laughs> my daughter groans. The good news is that my wife's the cook in the family. It wouldn't go any good if I was. Nobody would enjoy anything. So she cooks. And my daughter knows I say the same thing every night. I always say, your mom cooks the best stuff. Dad, you said that last night. I mean it again tonight. There's nothing better. Live the whole life. Not just part of it. See, it's not work versus life. Work isn't everything and work isn't nothing. Relationships aren't everything and relationships aren't nothing. See, it's the whole thing. Don't reduce it. Live the whole thing. And now here's our last one for today. Live it all with joy. This is our last one. I was saving it because this is the big spiritual one, right? I told you before that the preacher here, he covers every aspect of the human condition. You've got the physical life, the spiritual life, the relational life, and the economic life. Every aspect of the human condition. The one I haven't talked about yet is your spiritual life. What he told you to do is put on white. What he told you to do is put oil on your head, which I hope you see doesn't necessarily mean that you put oil on your head. You might be blinded on Sunday mornings. What it means is that you live with festive joy always. Now here's where I need to clarify. That doesn't mean you should never grieve. It doesn't mean you're not ever going to be depressed. It doesn't ever mean doesn't mean that you're not ever going to be anxious. What it does mean is that you're not going to stay that way. It means that you have to reject, with the preacher, prolonged periods of sadness. So you've got to be clear about this. The preacher, you read his book, he tells you how to grieve and he tells you that grief actually can produce wisdom in your life. So he doesn't say that you should never grieve, but what he does say is that you shouldn't grieve for a long time. You don't want to engage in prolonged periods of sadness. Can I tell you why? Because you're alive. Because you're alive. That's why. Because you're alive. 
And because then, quite evidently, God wants you to live. Because you're breathing and because you're breathing, quite evidently, God wants you to live your life. And if you just spend your time in a hole, grieving or in the dark, you're letting your own life slip through your fingers. It's inappropriate to spend too much time in grief. Why? Because you are alive. And what that means, it is that it is time for you to live. So live. Dear Jesus, help me be gentle but bold. Some of you, you know what this means? It means you got you to gotta get out of your hole. You have to. Now, I didn't, I didn't tell you how to get out of your hole. I'll, I'll help you with that. I, I'll help you, and Jesus will help you to talk to me. I'll help you get out of the hole. But it means you got to get out. Some of you, it means you've been grieving too long. And what you need to remember is that Jesus raises the dead. That is, that is a joy that's greater than the sadness. He raises the dead. Some of you need to hear that today. Get out of the hole and live. Jesus wants you to. It's why he gives you your food and your drink. His body and his blood. It's why he gives you the church, primal relationships. It's why he gives you purpose in your life so that you live it. So live. In fact, can I kind of poke you with this a little bit? You want to spite the world right now? Everybody else is so angry. Everybody else is so anxious. You want to spite the world? Raise a glass. You want to poke the devil in the eye? (laughs) He wants to take your joy. Enjoy your life. Live, people of God. Live. Martin Luther was asked this. If you knew that tomorrow you were going to die, what would you do today? You know what he said? He said, I'd plant my apple tree. For my part, I think I'd join him. I'd do my work. Then I'd go home and laugh with my wife and probably sip on cider. How about you? Live. Live to God and through God and in God. Warm his heart then and enjoy his gifts. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe.
Praise Him with clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.